Assalamu alaikum, this is Amina from New Wave Global. Today the world is reeling with horrifying stories surrounding the Israel-Palestine conflict, which is eons old, but it was brought to the forefront recently once again by the events of October 7th, an attack carried out by Hamas. And the events that have unfolded since have led to unprecedented devastation, loss of human life, misery, and untold stories of oppression. But, and the most saddening part of the story is that there seems to be no end in sight. This is only the short version of the story. There's a huge historical background behind this. There's a whole story behind this which led to the current events. We're just looking at a snapshot in time. So to put things into perspective, I have here today with me, Dr. Fauzia Afzal Khan. Assalamualaikum, Dr. Fauzia. Pleasure having you here. Waalaikum salam. Thank and you so she, much. Of course. She is a distinguished English professor at Montclair University, a former director of women and gender program at the university, and is currently actually teaching a course on Middle Eastern history and literature. So she has her hand right on the pulse of the matter. I'm going to d- dive in and ask her, what? how can you historically relate to to what happened recently um yes very important question uh amna as you said unfortunately for most people you know when something like this happens what happened uh you know the uh, your obviously very uh, terrible attack by um, Hamas militants in uh, from Gaza into Israel proper. Uh, so people only just focus on that, right? Yes. Oh my God. And then of course, so this is terrible. It is barbaric. It is, I mean, it's all of those things. Yes, fine. But it doesn't put that loss of life, which of innocent lives that were lost that day and the hostages taken, which of course, no one, no one, would ever, um, uh, you know, uh, say it's not terrible, right? Because any loss of life and especially civilian life uh, committed by anyone, this is not acceptable by uh, standards of morality and humanity. So, of course, that was terrible. But when you just stay with that, and then you use that to simply, uh, you know, it's what I would call without looking at the history of as to why would somebody even do that and commit those kinds of atrocities? Matlab, what is there? Uh, and and if you are going to say as their, uh, you know, minister or defense said, oh, it's because all of them, Hamas and the people they represent, the Palestinians, they are nothing more than human animals then what you've done is you are resorting to a a Manichaean kind of view of the world and of society and of people that divides people up into us and them, good and evil. And we know that this is incorrect. And what it doesn't do, you see, is to take what you just mentioned, very importantly, is the history behind something like that occurring. And then it allows for the the power, in this case, the Israeli state, with all of its military might to unleash an unprecedented attack of, of unprecedented proportions, exactly. which are so disproportionate against, again, an innocent civilian population because you've already called them human animals, right? So you are not distinguishing 
uh, between people uh, who are just trying to go about their normal life, which they have not been able to do for decades ever since the creation of Israel. And Gaza itself has been under siege since the big, you know, a, a, a few years into this, uh, our current century. So you are refusing to take that history into account, right? And what you are guilty of then, which unfortunately most of the mainstream media sources, particularly in the US and the UK and other Western presses, they are guilty of what I would call, is what we, uh, you know, the word is present, presentism. Presentism, correct. That you are looking only at the present. Yeah. Okay. Oh my this, God! What happened? Yeah. That? Event. This doesn't exist in isolation. No, nothing exists in isolation. Yeah. Things don't just happen, right? Things happen because of a, you know, a background. Because of there is always a backstory uh, to everything, yeah. and this was no exception. But we are not being told that backstory that is the unfortunate thing mainstream media and the uh, you know leaders the political leaders of the western world in particular are refusing to go into the past and not they don't even have to go into the very uh, you know long ago past we're talking of past within the living memory of a lot of people, refusing to acknowledge that. The history that has led to, that led to the creation of Israel and what that has unleashed on the native population of that entire region. What has been going on there? I mean, why would people, you know, knowing that you are taking on an enemy, in this case, Israel, right? That has such a, one of the most superior military uh, armies in the world and right. an, uh, including a nuclear arsenal exactly. the only one in the region right if you are taking them on with a few rockets and some guns and some knives you know that uh, you know it's like uh, uh, David going against Goliath what do you expect will happen so okay. some people you know, going to that extent and taking such a big step, knowing that they will be crushed. Why would anyone do that? Why did we have suicide bombers? Who wants to take their own lives? These exactly. are questions that are worthy of consideration. And if you want to dismiss that by saying, well, people, they are human animals. That's why they do it. That is not an answer. It is exactly. not an acceptable answer. Yeah, so yes, we have to look at the history. Always, I tell my students also, if you do not understand the historical and the socio-political, the economic context, right? Yeah. Of a particular novel that we are reading in class or a particular film that we are watching or uh, poems that are written by somebody. If you don't understand the historical, socio-political context within which the writers who created these works operate, then how can you understand it even? How can you make any kind of judgment about what uh, they are saying in these works? Because you see, the literature, like any other, uh, uh, you know, uh, art form, it does not uh, happen or occur or gets written or read in a vacuum. Correct. There is That's always a context. Yeah. 
so yeah so history thank i mean history is important and uh, that is you know for me as an academic uh, who you know has taught for a long time and still teaching when i teach in my classes whatever the uh, topic or subject matter or area of the world is because i teach courses in world literature particularly literature from the global south which in american classrooms lot of uh, you know the students who come to me they don't have a background in that right so yeah. when i teach them I, my whole purpose is that they should learn about the world around them and they should learn in a way where they can start asking questions because if you are not asking questions then your the way that you read or you understand the world is extremely from a very extremely limited uh, uh, a narrow point of view and then you uh, i mean in a way that is you are being deprived of a deeper and wider understanding of the world in which you exist so as an educator for me that's my purpose is you know how can i help them yes see all sides to a question there are you know multiple points of view on everything uh, which is uh, you know the beauty of the world but there are times when you have to ask when you ask certain questions you have to also then take a position a morally proper position that's that's, that's absolutely right yeah. and you know that's that's the problem that you know i'm trying to highlight here is that obviously we all condemn the loss of life it doesn't matter whether it's it's israeli innocent people or it's palestinian is people we strongly condemn loss of life because the color of the blood is the same like they say but the problem here is that you know you know the the way the the, the portrayal of the events it, there's no objectivity to it. It's just zoomed in, a very narrow focus, and and that's and and the rhetoric that is being generated is extremely inflammatory, and it's not directed towards resolving the situation. It's actually directed towards escalating the situation, and that's where that's where it becomes horrible, and that's where it seems like that there's going to be no end to this to this law. Uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, uh, you know, uh, are not able to defend themselves against the uh, onslaught uh, and bombardment and, the, uh, you know, they are being deprived because Israel rules that land. Israel yeah. is the occupying force there. I mean, the Gazans are, have been living in a, the world's largest open-air prison for decades at this point. So their water supply, their fuel, their... Any kind of aid, uh, medicines, uh, you know, jobs, everything is dependent on Israel because Israel is the ruler. The and most densely populated region in the world. There is absolutely no room for them to go anywhere. They cannot go anywhere. Yes. So they will just be, you know, and what I want to ask is, I mean, this is what really hurts and is so confusing and so upsetting is that here we have a people representing a state, uh, you know, which is a state for uh, Jews in the Middle East, right? I mean, it's a Jewish state. It's a democracy, yes, but for Jews only. Arabs are second-class citizens. So when Israel claims to be the only democracy in the Middle East, that also is a false certification. It is not a democracy for all of its citizens, including the Arab citizens of Israel, right? So, yes, it, the, the so if it, it's, a, it's a Jewish state, and so the members of this state, right, they have that historical memory and many of them are themselves descendants of people who were wiped out in the this uh, you know in the holocaust in europe 
So what a terrible thing that tragedy and, uh, you know, that they have had to suffer. How can a people with that history of their own condone a government that acts in their names and is hell-bent on wiping out in a genocidal uh, way another people? It, it doesn't, you know, it's a very difficult thing to grasp. I agreed. Agreed. People and I mean, there is, and you were, you were asking for a history, right? So, I mean, we know, for example, in 19, in the war in 1960, first of all, it was 1948, you know, in the one of the novels that I'm teaching in one of my courses, Men in the Sun, by Hassan Kanafani, who himself, a Palestinian, a Marxist Palestinian, he was a freedom fighter, but also a writer and a playwright. I mean, he and his 11-year-old niece, he was only 36, he was killed in Beirut by the Mossad just for, you know, for his activities uh, of uh, wanting to stand up for the liberation speak on behalf of his people and for writing. And so I teach his novel, Men in the Sun. And, you know, over there we see that in 1948, after the creation of Israel, the army is moving in and taking over the Arab villages where Arab populations were living, right? Yeah. And they are completely dispossessed. Their olive trees were are being mowed down. So there is a farmer with whom we start the novel who is saying, oh my God, he is dispossessed of his small orchard of 10 olive trees. That, and he has to go as a refugee, try to be smuggled, poor old man, to make money because he knows no other way of living and he thinks he can maybe go to Kuwait and maybe start life over there and send money back. Of course, he and the other men in this novel who try to make that journey because they have to be smuggled out. I ask my students, why do they have to be smuggled out? Because they don't have, they are stateless. Israel is not giving them any passports. The borders of these other countries are closed, which are themselves European creations, right? All of these states, Iraq and Kuwait and so on, they are a result of an even more older history yeah. from World War One, right? When these states were carved up, which divided and pitted one Arab against another, Arabs against Arabs, tribes against tribes. So they can't, you know, uh, rely on any of them. They just have to, you know, try to hope that they can get smuggled out. And in the end, the men in this novel, they don't make it. But the question is that, you know, like the farmer Abu Qais, he keeps on dreaming of his orchard of 10 olive trees, which were mowed down by the Israeli army. That practice is continuing today, to this day in the occupied lands, you know, on which... Palestinians are being, quote, allowed to live on the West Bank or Gaza. How are these people supposed to make their lives, uh, you know, and, and make their livelihoods? And, yeah. you know, at that time when, when so that was 48, say, that has been continuing. And then in 67, there was a second war, right, which again, Israel won. But in that process, it annexed lands that did not belong to it in its pushed to, you know, for Eretz Israel or Greater Israel, right? Yeah. After that war, when they won and they started annexing land, the United Nations, uh, the Security Council, this was, I believe, November 1967, the members of the Security Council unanimously voted for, they passed Resolution 242, which called on Israel to withdraw, withdraw from the annexed territories that it had seized in that six-day war. But now you look, this is what, 50, 60 years later, Israel not only continues to violate that resolution, it has continued to expand settlements. And to make matters, 
Exactly. And to make matters worse, I mean, if you look at what the world response is today to this conflict, it's it's so frustrating. It's heart wrenching. I mean, they they beat the the appeal for humanitarian pause was vetoed. It was vetoed multiple times. Yes, yes, very so tragic. So we're not even willing to hold the the escalation for a few hours, minutes maybe, to let aid get to, to uh, Gazans who have absolutely no access to the rest of the world. No, you're absolutely right. That situation is so what has made the very... world. I mean, you you alluded to the events uh, in '67, where at least there was a resolution for Israel to pull back, to hold back. But now, you know, we're not. Well, that resolution is there, as are many other resolutions. Yeah, but now know? we're not even. They're not even asking for it anymore. Yeah, no, it's really terrible. I mean, the point is they weren't able to enforce those resolutions. Yeah, because absolutely. even that. I mean, UN, which is, come on, that is the one peacekeeping uh, fair uh, uh, creation of the world uh, to try to keep the peace. Nobody listens to them. They And they have been unable to enforce it here. Anything, so there is a lack of political will, right, amongst the absolutely. powers that be. They don't want, they pass the resolutions, but then what do they do to try to follow it up? Instead absolutely of nothing. holding Israel accountable, they are feeding them aid, they are giving them carte blanche. So this is no longer something that we can only blame on the Israeli government that they are doing this. The Israeli government feels it can do this and get away with murder, you know, of thousands upon thousands of Palestinians because it, I mean, the US alone provides, you know, every year in taxpayer money, we give them more than $4 million a year, right? We provide them with arms. We provide them with the most sophisticated arms, with aircraft carriers. We have helped them build up their nuclear arsenal. Right? Every, and now the aid that a Biden administration has asked for Israel, not for the Gazans, but for Israel. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, more arms. I mean, this is the most well-equipped army in the world and they need more arms. Yeah. And, and you know, that's not, that's I, I, it's so it's so depressing and it's so frustrating and it, for for us to see that you know we're not even they're not even asking for much they're just asking for food they're asking for water they're asking for medical supplies so and and nobody is advocating for them absolutely no one there there are no voices for those cousins there's no there, you know there's there's no access for media to go there to show the world the pictures the the devastation that's happening over there the the misery right. it's just. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to use this platform to just raise this understanding among people that there's not only one side of the story, there are two sides of the story, and you, you should take into account both sides of the story. Nobody, nobody endorses loss of human life. Nobody is happy that no. Israelis are dying, and nobody's happy that Palestinians are dying. We, we, we do not want loss of life. But at the same time, you, you know, before people start taking sides, they should look at the broader picture they should look at both sides of the coin and then make you know a, a fair judgment based on that yes but i would like to ask you what is the other side of the coin i mean they really when it is so disproportionate look the gazans right and i would say the palestinians as a whole first of all palestine they do not have a state yeah they do not have a functioning military 
right? They are completely yeah, powerless. No, yeah, they are and they're being squeezed out of their homes. These are yeah. their homes, right? Yeah. So if we talk about, okay, oh, yes, Israel has a right to defend itself. What about them? And and what is Israel actually... No, but what is Israel defending itself against? Yeah, that's what Who? I'm saying. Those people are defenseless. They have nothing. They, they have are no defenseless. Arms. They, have no they are basically... Army. Yeah. 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 So who? So what is this two sides? I don't understand, right? Three point eight billion. It's a more like, and now he's asked for more. I mean, billions of dollars in aid continues to flow to Israel from the United States. Billions. Are the Palestinians getting anything even remotely close to that? They're not even getting food. They're not even getting water. Where you get, so you have the answer. So it, it seems to me that we have to stop this two sides to each story. There are no two sides here. I'm sorry. There aren't. Because what Israel is, what it has become, what it is doing is so beyond the pale of humanity. And it is committing genocide in broad daylight. And the world is not only standing by, but certainly the Western world is helping them to do it through this kind of obfuscation in words about, you know, two sides and horrendous this and horrendous that. My God, what about the, I mean, you know, hundreds were killed here. There are tens of thousands killed being killed on the other side. I mean, the bombing hospitals, bombing, I mean, as people are fleeing their homes, bombing, cutting off their water supply, cutting. How does this compare to what Hamas did on Saturday the 7th? And again, this is not to justify Hamas. But you know, you have to understand, that's why I asked the question, what makes people take such desperate measures? Because that's all they were. They were simply desperate measures. And you have to ask, what the hell happened to Israeli, uh, you know, Iron Dome security? How did these people even enter and go roaming around, swinging around with these guns that they had acquired? But, I mean, they were firing rockets that don't even have much of a reach. They had some guns. They have... That's, there is no comparison, you see. So we, when you say two sides, that automatically implies that there is some sort of balance. This is a highly imbalanced situation. Correct. So at this point, there are no two sides. I'm sorry. Israel is committing murder, genocide in broad daylight, uh, you know, killing children, killing women, killing innocent civilians, old people, forcing them from their homes. People, you know, they're heartbreaking stories. Somebody locking up their house with a and saying, I don't know if, you know, I hope I can come back. They're not going to be able to come back. This is 1948 all over again. People mm -hmm. who, you know, thought that they were leaving their house. They were all taken over. But because this is the Israeli plan and it has, it is not a conspiracy theory because this is what Israelis have stated over and over again. What do you think their settler occupation mission is? To settle, meaning you go in and you build, you take over lands that are under occupation and you, with the might of the army and the, you know, the state, you build on those lands. What, they're going to give them up and go back, you know? No, when that resolution I mentioned, 242 was passed, that was the plan. Give back the land that you've taken. Has that land been given back? No. Yes. In addition to not being given back, more settlements have been made since then, right? 
So the yes. territories not only are not given back, more territories keep getting added. Yeah. While the it's world looks on and says, oh my God, Israel has a right to defend itself. What? The Palestinians don't have a right to self-determination? That is a right that is given to you by the UN Charter. Right. I'm, so if you're going to do two sides, that's the other side. What's going on? And you know, this is some, I heard somebody recently say this, and this is absolutely true. You know, you can say all you want about Hamas when you think about how and why and when and by whom was really Hamas created. I mean, Hamas was created with the blessing of Israel because it wanted a counter to the secular uh, PLO and they didn't like because the PLO, you know, really was a secular and uh, effective organization. Yasser Arafat was very beloved. I mean, he was poisoned. Yeah. And then you've got, um, you know, uh, to take the teeth out of the PLO, you create this awful Palestine authority, right, on the West Bank, who has agreed to every condition that Israel has stated, that this is if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then we can have peace, and then, you know, we might consider a two-state solution. It has done all that, because they are puppets. Mahmoud Abbas is a puppet. And is, I mean, he does whatever Israel wants. What has been achieved? Nothing except more yeah. settlements. Yeah. So then in from you look from that perspective and you ask, well, I mean, when you have such a frustrated population, 40% of youth in uh, Gaza do not have jobs. Yeah. Hardly the schools can stay open. They are, it's like a pack of... You know, they are, uh, you know, an, animals in a cage. And then you have an outburst like this, you know. It is understandable. It's not condonable, but it is understandable. How would you feel if you are constantly being bombarded decade after decade as a child? That's all you see. It's what you grow up with. What do you think is going to happen? This is a logical uh, uh, result of that, what happened, right? So we have to provide long-term solutions to the problem. That's exactly the point, yeah. <laughs> if you are just going to say, okay, I'm going to keep, they have, I mean, Israel has been bombing and putting Gaza under siege and trying to get rid of the Hamas for decades. Have yeah. they succeeded even with their military might? They have not. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have in the West Bank, in Ramallah, you've got a compliant Palestinian leadership that listens to everything you say. What have the Palestinians gained by that? Nothing. Yeah. So then if they become desperate and say, well, when we try to accept peace and try to accept everything Israel says, we are treated still like crap and we are given no rights and we are pushed further and further back and we continue to be occupied and our lands taken over and our children killed, then I mean, yeah, then Hamas, you know, if Hamas says, okay, I'm going to, uh, you know, do this, at least you let off some steam in a very horrible way, but that's what it is, right? Yeah. So let's say if Hamas is removed, I think this was, uh, the, you know, Palestinian, uh, I'm forgetting his name, a media anchor who was responding to a question by Piers Morgan recently. And he says, okay, you, you hate Hamas. I hate Hamas. We all hate That's Hamas. It. Get rid yeah. of Hamas. Yeah. But so Hamas is gone. Then what? What? Do you think that's going to solve the problem? No. Yeah. No, you're right. You hit the nail on the head because we have to work or the world has to work 
towards the resolution of the conflict. You, they have to recognize their, their right of self-determination, and that would be the only way to end this conflict. Killing, genocide is, ne is, ne is not going to be the answer. And like you said, you know, this this is coming from a, from a community that went through that. So, you know, if anyone should be more understanding of it, they're the ones. Yeah, no, it's really very, uh, it's a sad, sad situation and a sad commentary on, you know, humanity uh, that one can, you know, stand by and see all this and know what's happening. And, you know, you have the most powerful governments in the world and their leaders refusing to acknowledge uh, the severity of the situation and trying That's to come true. up with a right, lasting just turning a blind eye to the state of affairs. Absolutely. Turning a blind eye to the state of affairs is not going to solve anything. And that that was the whole point of this conversation that we wanted, I wanted, uh, you know, you to put things in, in perspective. So, so, you know, it's just not taken as an event that happened in isolation. And the escalation no. that's happening after that is just right. a result of that. Right. There's a whole right. backstory to it. And that's what people need to understand. And then we ask accordingly. Yes, exactly. And But the thing here is that when we really do look into, you know, the whole history, we have to go back to, you know, the early 1900s when the Ottoman Empire was crumbling, Right. And uh, the big powers at that time happened to be, you know, who had big empires, including in our part of the world was the British, right? And then you had the French Empire and so on. And these uh, European powers were really scrambling. Yeah? There was a real scramble on for the Middle East because yeah. they saw that, you know, if they could bring down what was already a weakened Ottoman Empire, it used to be called the sick man of Europe, right? Yeah. If we could bring that down, then and we, we they, they wanted and they were very clear in their objectives that they knew this area was rich. The oil was being found at the time. Uh, and also, obviously, they wanted to control trade routes. They, I mean, this area was very, this region was very important to the expansion of their mission to expand their empire, right? True. So, I mean, they made so that they had I mean I'm teaching a course on called Spies of Empire, Empire of Spies that's a graduate seminar this semester just happened to be teaching it but it's incredible because as I'm reading as my students are reading and delving into the history of that time and the writings of the you know the spies that I'm teaching about we are so amazed to see how you know this is now you know, also going back almost 50 years prior, even to the creation of Israel, we understand how the Israeli state and why it was created. Right. And the powers that all got together to create the state as their own imperial outpost in mm -hmm. that region. I mean, you know, it didn't just happen because some people said, oh, we want to flee the European pogroms against us and, you know, set up uh, a shop in, in Palestine. No, this was a way for the British. This Palestine initially was, you know, part of the British mandate. And the British and the French decided, okay, now that World War One is ending, now that we have defeated the Ottomans, now we will, you take over Syria. Uh, I'll take over this. I mean, they just started as though this was their uh -huh, distribution yeah. of these spoils. And then you had the Balfour de Declaration. You had the uh, Sykes-Picot 
uh, you know, treaty, these were essentially European instruments of domination that were extremely unfair. No local people were taken into uh, confidence by uh, with this. And then they played that dastardly game through their spies like T.E. Lawrence and Gertrude Bell and so on. These are the people I'm, uh, you know, teaching in my course. Right their history and they were uh, used and they were um, you know part of empire and they basically helped their uh, uh, governments right to understand how to pit which person against which other person which tribal leader against another leader so that they could control various regions right because yeah. they wanted that control and they i mean gertrude bell actually helped to create the modern state of iraq out of mesopotamia mm. and these lines that were drawn in the sand right they were drawn with in the same way that we you know like for example what happened in pakistan and india yeah these lines were created in such a way to keep that region in turmoil for centuries to come because then the outside power finds it easier to control that to region control when, yeah. when they are divide and rule. Yes, divide and rule. So this goes back a long way, but it is not. So, you know, when people say, oh, my God, this is a religious con uh, conflict. It is ancient as the Bible. That's a real estate argument. It doesn't hold any water. Yeah. And True. that's not what this is. What this is, is in fact, not about religion. It is indeed a real estate question in that sense. It's about people wanting to control the resources of a particular piece of land. True. Right? Yeah, and when the right. state of Israel is created, it is in order to keep a European foothold. And then, of course, because now America was coming up as a big power, it becomes America's watchdog or policeman in the region. Yeah. That is why we keep giving them billions in aid every year and we call them the greatest this and because they are doing our dirty job of keeping the region in a state that is conducive, that is yeah. conducive to our ambitions True. and our needs and our desires and keep that oil supply coming. You're, you're absolutely right, Fazia, and thank you for putting things into perspective. That was the whole point of this uh, conversation. I, I wanted to hopefully make people see the bigger picture and not be, uh, uh, you know, zoomed in or have a very narrow focus or perspective. And, you know, I think the, the take-home uh, message from this conversation, like you rightly pointed out, is that we have to get behind humanity. It's not about religion. It's not about real estate. It's not about taking um you know sides of palestine or, or israel it's 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 about humanity and that's what we have all have to get behind and advocate for um thank you for taking the time absolutely amna you yes you summed it up beautifully that is exactly correct we have to treat everyone the same we cannot have double standards and one standard for this people because they look like this you know they have this race or this ethnicity or this religion but for those brown black people we have a completely different set of uh, uh you know standards that is not humanity and that unfortunately is what we see happening and you know something that bears thinking about you know um, yeah so thank you thank i think you. that's well put thank you thank you thank you for having me and i hope the world um you know just before the lesson, you know, learns the lesson before things get too too bad and too out of hand. And uh, let's uh, all come together to really save the poor, the poor people who are really suffering terribly.